Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 152 on Chile. The capitalist country is Santiago de la Chile. Now, Chile has an unconfirmed origin for its name, but the leading theory suggests that Chile started as a Native American word, which is Chile, meaning ends of the earth. Now, there are other predictions as well. One of these theories is that the Quecha used the word Tichili, meaning the deepest point on earth, which would make sense because of the fact that this country goes very far north to south, and the people who lived here, the Quecha at the time, were vastly throughout all of it. And that's all I kind of have there. There isn't a lot more we know name-wise, but I'm going to give you some facts as well. As to be expected, Chile has the highest ratio of height to width of any country in the world. It is over 4,000 miles long in kilometer and less than 200 wide in most parts of the country. Chile borders the Andes Mountains, which are the longest and second tallest mountain range in the world. And the slogan of Chile is by reason or by force, which represents a lot of the political history of this nation and the way things have been handled, which have been either through diplomacy or through the sword. The condor is native to the Andes mountain region, which is right next to Chile. And for that reason, the condor is on the Chilean coat of arms. And the condor is the world's largest flying bird. Since 2020, Chile has been working on creating a new constitution for the nation. There is a government charter and constitutional committee that works on this new constitution. And the body that makes this up is 50% women, which is the first time, as far as we know in history, that a constitutional committee or something that is drafting the constitution of a country is 50% women. So Chile is making huge strides there. And with that, I don't really want to dilly-dally anymore. Chile is genuinely one of my favorite countries in the world. I find the history and geography of this nation just so unique and so interesting and also very, very cool. So with that, I'm just going to get into it. As always, I'm very glad you guys are here. I very much thank you for being here. I know you've got a lot of history episodes to sort through, so if you ended up watching this one, I do appreciate it. And with all that being said, let's get started. My name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History. And this is Chile. Let's do this thing. Our origins begin at least 15,000 years ago, when the first people arrived here. They likely came from the areas of Siberia and moved through the Bering Strait land bridge when it existed, and then had their descendants in that region. From there, it would take many generations for the people that started in what was in Alaska to eventually move all the way down through North America, Central America, and all the way down to the western southern part of South America. By the time they arrived in Chile, they were still in a hunter-gatherer part of their civilization, Everyone went and foraged for berries or hunted for animals because there wasn't a great agricultural system quite yet. However, that would change as different people groups rose up. And the main people group we're going to pinpoint here is the Mapuche. The Mapuche arrived in the region between 600 and 500 BCE. They were hunter, gatherer, fishermen that lived in small, scattered villages. They lived in communities that only included extended family members, so they were very small. Shaman women, known as Machi, were powerful elders of Mapuche communities that facilitated relationships with the spirits. Mapuche heavily believed that the world around them was influenced by powerful spirits, either of deities and great living beings, or 
human beings that used to be in the life with people. And the Mapuche were the main people that lived across northern and central Chile for centuries. The Mapuche defended their land from the Peruvian Inca Empire when the empire was led by Tupac Inca Yapanqui. During his two-decade rule from 1471 to 1492, he attempted to expand from the Peruvian coast down to Mapuche areas of what is today Chile. The Mapuche were a strong warrior culture and honored successful warriors with blessings from spirits. The culture surrounding the Mapuche military made them nearly impossible to defeat without a lot of great effort. So, they successfully defeated the Inca on many occasions, even while Yapunqui was in power. Thus, it put an end to any future expansion of the Inca into the southern region. Spanish influence moved quickly across South America in the early 1500s. In 1533, Francisco Pizarro conquered all of Peru. From the city of Lima, Spanish campaigns were made into Chile over and over. And after these Spanish forces, led by Diego de Almargo, marched into Chile, more influence of the Spanish was established in this region. Pedro de Valdivia was a Spanish governor and explorer that built the city of Santiago in 1541. This city eventually became the capital of Chile. The Spaniards attempted to cultivate the center of Chile because it had a lot of fertile soil. However, the Mapuche did not take kindly to their sacred land being taken advantage of by foreigners. The Mapuche furiously attacked the Spaniards at any chance they were given. They found success under their leader, Lautaro, from 1534 to 1557. He was a great warrior chief that led Mapuche raids against Spanish forts. He handed the Spanish many defeats and proved the mettle of the Mapuche. Spain didn't settle here heavily because there weren't as many resources. They did, however, establish the Captaincy General of Chile after a lot of development went into the land. Military expansion became inevitable in certain parts of Chile, and the Mapuche resistance was pushed back. From 1599 to 1604, Mapuche raids continued to find a lot of success when they caused the destruction of the seven cities. This was an uprising in southern Chile by the resistant Mapuche forces. The battles that came from this caused seven major Spanish cities in the south to be destroyed and abandoned after Mapuche raids successfully crushed the military there. The Mapuche were heavily resistant even for the next century and a half. The Mapuche were extremely unique in the fact that they were so successful in their resistance against the Spanish over and over. And as I said, this goes on for quite a while. Throughout the 16 and 1700s, Chile established itself as the most autonomous colony among the Spanish Empire. The location of Chile allowed there to be a huge diversity of what the economy was made up of and the people that lived there. There was also a vast range of lifestyles because of the wide range of latitudes that the nation covers. Some people living in the south had a much more conservative lifestyle of avoiding the cold temperatures that occurred so close to Antarctica. And in the central and north, there was a lot more mountains and heat and completely different ways of life compared to the south. So as time went on, the desire for independence grew because Chile felt that it was becoming more and more autonomous on its own. It might as well be made official so that they could truly have control of their nation. Chilean residents felt the effects of the Mapuche resistance because it made Spain less interested in investing in the colony. Spain was getting very little out of Chile and had to put a lot in to maintain it. So the lack of support from Spain made the desire for independence grow more and more. In 1808, Napoleon ousted the King of Spain and sent Spanish South America into a political spiral. There was a lot of debate over how to run the country, which caused rifts in the Chileans that became civil conflicts thereafter. Things officially shifted when Napoleon ousted the King of Spain in 1808. This sent Spanish South America into a political spiral. There was a lot of debate over how to run the country, which caused rifts in the Chileans that became civil conflicts. 
The four years from 1810 to 1814 are known as the Old Fatherland Period. José Miguel Carrera rose as a prominent leader of the independence movement. He led the nation to declare independence in 1810. In the four-year period I just mentioned, fighting occurred between the separatist and loyalist groups of Chile. But after a lot of back and forth, death, and endless amounts of negotiation, the separatists eventually won, and it was decided that Chile would break away from Spain. The period from 1814 to 1817 was called the Reconquista because Spanish troops from Peru actually invaded Chile in large number. They were able to reestablish partial control of Chile for the Spanish king. Then, the period from 1817 to 1828 was called the New Fatherland Period. Bernardo O'Higgins, who was an Irish Basque general, led Chile against the reconquistered efforts from Spain. He was able to negotiate an alliance with Argentina to support the resistance against this powerful kingdom. Higgins led the forces against Spain in the 1817 Battle of Chacabuco, which ended Spanish control in most of Chile. Independence was officially attained on 1818. The next issue was the political state of the nation, which had no set path for how it would be governed. O'Higgins was a supreme leader until 1823, but resistance to his leadership caused him to step down. The Battle of Maipú was a nasty battle fought between Chilean Argentinian forces and the Spanish in central Chile. The battle was decided on April 15, 1818, when Chilean forces pushed the Spanish generals into submission. Independence was officially attained on 1818. The next issue was the political state of the nation, which had no path for how it would be governed. There was a lot of violence in the next few years, but in 1831, a powerful leader rose up. José Joaquín Prieto held the presidency for 10 years until 1841. He was a stout conservative that preached his ideals nationwide. He faced a lot of criticism because of his connection to the Diego Portales men, who is seen as the real one behind power behind the scenes. Diego Portales was a minister who led a conservative movement to eliminate opposition from rising. Portales was able to gain support because he didn't have any desire to be in power himself. He ruthlessly pursued his goals and forged the early government of Chile. Nonetheless, the decade of Prieto's presidency saw the expansion of education, railroad construction, economic growth, and more. For his conservative actions, liberal coup attempts occurred against Prieto in 1835. Most of the coup attempts were suppressed, but there was a lot of back and forth in the government, which led to Chile being pretty divided by the time the War of Confederation began. This was a war fought from 1836 to 1839. It pitted Chile against Peru and Bolivia. Chile was able to muster its forces and win this war pretty handily because of their far more dangerous terrain and experience as a fighting culture. This victory inspired a lot of nationalism within the national within the Chileans and led to a period of stronger unity. One of the leaders of the war effort was General Manuel Bulnes. Bulnes was widely supported in his presidential campaign. He held the presidency for 10 years and then transitioned his successor in a peaceful way. This continued conservative-dominated politics in Chile for a few years more. Mining and agricultural exports made Chile one of the fastest-growing economies in the South. Chile began to support the long-term military campaign of expanding south into new parts of the region. This is known as the occupation of Arusania, which occurred from 1861 to 1883. As Chile expanded its territory through military campaigns and treaties with other nations, Mapuche lands were increasingly encroached upon. The Chilean state sought to integrate Mapuche territories into their new national structure. The Arauco War spanned several decades, marked a period of conflict between the Chilean state and the Mapuche, and led to a lot of up and downs. The Chilean government sought to exert control over this region, 
and the Mapuche continued to push hard against the new government. Brutal warfare occurred for decades, and there was the use of a lot of guerrilla tactics across hundreds of miles of fighting land. The Mapuche agreed to treaties that ended the war and recognized Chile's claim to the region as a way to preserve the few that still remained. Today, this region has the name Vilanquihue, which is a commune for its 16,000 residents. After Chile expanded south, they actually allocated a lot of land to thousands of German immigrants. In no time, the German immigrants established strong farming systems and made towns like Futilar, Cuarto Octe, and the biggest one, Puerto Montt. This led to a prominent German culture finding a home in Chile and their influence in both industry and the arts becoming one of the main things people notice about Chile compared to its neighbors. Northern expansion became the great goal of the Chilean forces. They wanted the rocky nitrate-rich regions that were occupied by Peru and Bolivia. Nitrate had become a valuable resource to sell because of the fact that it was used in gunpowder. In retaliation, Bolivia and Peru both declared war on Chile in 1879 to start the War of the Pacific. Chile fought many naval battles that were wildly destructive, but successfully defeated both these powers in 1883. The victory of Chile in this war gained them land that Bolivia used as ocean access. Therefore, this war forced Bolivia to become a landlocked state. This heavily affected the economy of Bolivia not only then, but still to this very day. So much so, that is part of the reason that today, relations between Chile and Bolivia are still shakier than most other countries. 1861 to 1891 was also the liberal republic period, where elections across these three decades were dominated by liberal politics. Congress, which had leaned conservative for many years, clashed with the liberal president, José Manuel Bamacida, in 1891. Tensions between the two grew to an irreconcilable level when both sides' supporters got aggressive in the streets. Eventually, the clashes brewed into a full-on civil war. The Chilean Civil War split the military because the Navy supported the Congress and the Army supported President Balmacida. Brutal fighting went on for a year, but the Army was defeated by the powerful Navy. This forced President Balmacida into exile. He took refuge in Argentina, but out of fear that he would be jailed in Chile, he ended his own life. Congress took power, but had a lot of oligarchical tendencies. Since the days of early independence, land-owning cadillos dominated the way that the government was ran. Also in this period, the middle class and working class had become more populous, which prompted even more change. The nitrate, coal, and copper industries became even more valuable, and the people who worked in the industry demanded a bigger slice of the economic pie, because as the country grew, so did the gap of inequality. This was the start of the parliamentary era, which lasted from 1891 to 1925. The era earned the name because the working and middle class grew year over year, but they did not grow in economics or influence. This caused the people in these classes to start the 1925 military coup. The 1925 military coup saw military leaders that came mostly from the two classes oust to many government officials to put pressure on the president to change the system. Because of this, a new constitution was signed by the then president, Arturo Arasandri. The new constitution created a checks and balances system on the president. This forced direct elections to be the only way for a president to maintain power. Social safety nets, health care, and other social benefits were expanded with the constitution. The goal of the constitution was to make the Republic of Chile much more democratic and much more representative for all of its people. There was also an expanded wealth tax. Nonetheless, power still heavily resided within the president and the oligarchy he supported. But to contrast this, 
Modernization was a major part of the early 1900s for Chile. There was a shift towards power in the nation being shared, and Chile held a continuously expanding democracy. Powerful politicians were routinely voted out of office, but tensions grew in the country year over year, so overall stability was not easily gained. Relations with Argentina were cemented as positive when the statue of the Prince of Peace, which was Jesus Christ, was built on the border of the two nations to symbolize, well, peace. Chile had had long-term border disputes with every nation that surrounded it, including Argentina, but at the border with said nation, negotiations were able to prevail above everything else, and now the nations have pretty great relations, represented by this great statue. The Great Depression hit Chile very hard. Chile was heavily dependent on its export-oriented economy, with copper being a key export. The collapse of international trade and a sharp decline in commodity prices, including copper, had a severe impact on Chile's economy. The economic hardships of the Great Depression led to increase in unemployment, poverty, and social inequality in Chile. The working class and rural populations were particularly affected. Social unrest and protests against economic conditions became more and more frequent. The Great Depression period laid the groundwork for future social and labor reforms in Chile. It increased awareness of the need for social policies and led to discussions on how to address poverty and inequality. By the mid-1930s, global economic conditions began to improve, and Chile gradually emerged from the depths of the Great Depression. However, the legacy of this challenging period influenced subsequent economic policies and social reforms that would affect the country for a very long time. World War II mostly occurred far away from Chile's borders, but the war did have a lot of effects on the country. The war generated increased demand for raw materials, and Chile, with its abundance of copper, nitrates, and other minerals, experienced an economic boom in the arms trade. The wartime economic prosperity facilitated the growth of industri industrialization in Chile. The increased revenue from copper exports allowed for investments in infrastructure and industrial development nationwide. And as you can probably imagine, the increase in economic success did not trickle down to those in the most vulnerable positions. Therefore, the gap in inequality widened as the, Chile, as the economy of Chile grew. As the economy of Chile grew. This set the precedent for the next century of Chilean history. During the early post-war period, Chile maintained a neutral stance in global affairs. The United States, as a major player in international politics, sought to strengthen diplomatic ties with countries in Latin America. The onset of the Cold War influenced U.S. foreign policy in South America. The United States sought to contain the spread of communism, and this had implications for the relationship with Chile. The U.S. provided economic and military assistance to Chile during the early Cold War years. The United States aimed to strengthen the anti-communist governments and prevent the influence of leftist movements in those regions. The Kennedy administration introduced the Alliance for Progress, a program aimed at fostering economic development and social progress in Latin America. Chile was a participant in this initiative, receiving economic aid and technical assistance. Eduardo Frei Montalva was president from 1964 to 1970. He was a member of the Christian Democratic Party, who were a young party with a lot of inexperience. The party was not widely supported or successful, so there was a shift in the goals of the people. That's when we see the rise of Salvador Allende, who was a Marxist politician that was the head of the Social Communist Coalition Group in Chile. He became a favorite in the 1970 election because of the widespread disdain for the government systems that were in place. Allende's ideas seemed to strongly counter the efforts of the government in place by being much more socialist and giving to the people. He won the election and succeeded Montalva as president in 1970. The electoral victory of a communist party sent a shockwave through Chile's allies and the United States. The Nixon administration in the U.S. quickly moved to oust Allende. The CIA tried to pressure Chile's Congress to chase a new leader. 
The CIA tried to pressure Chile's Congress to choose a new leader, but it was unsuccessful. The CIA is accused of killing Reese Snyder, who is a military general that opposed overturning the election of Allende. Nonetheless, Allende's presidency was widely recognized in Chile. Allende tried to reach the sweeping goals he preached about, but food shortages and strikes caused Allende's presidency to be a lot less fruitful than promised, because the people were still suffering so much that it felt like no change was coming. However, Allende's presidency did help the housing and education industries improve for the years he was in power. Allende also planned a free food program for school children, but it wasn't affordable to the government, which led to further economic downturn and inflation. The United States was also heavily involved in limiting the access to free trade that Chile had. So this, undoubtedly, caused a lot of economic hardship across Chile. Over time, more and more resistance to Allende's presidency arose. All these rising tensions mounted in the 1973 coup d'etat. Augusto Pinochet was a military general that led the coup. The military very quickly took over the nation, and on September 11th of 1973, they made a move on the presidential building in the capital. The military campaign was funded by the United States, who wanted to oust Allende as the socialist leader. As the presidential palace was bombed, Allende broadcasted a heart-wrenching goodbye, where he addressed how he lost faith in himself as president. He would actually end his life this same day. Pinochet took power after Allende's death, and the coup was initially widely supported because people wanted an end to the presidency. But after the tragic end to Allende's life, people began to question how right they really were. Pinochet became a dictator by restricting resistance movements, the press, and opposition parties. He closed parliament, banned unions, and neutralized political opponents. His regime executed 2,000 people accused of challenging the state. Among this were many other violent acts of suppression. Pinochet tortured and killed many Communist Party members and supporters. He was widely known for his anti-communist stance. The former, the former head of the military, Carlos Prats, and Minister of Defense, Orlando Letier, worked under Allende. They resisted the way that Pinochet was attempting to erase the old government. And for this, both of them found themselves killed in a car bombing attack outside of the capital. For this, both of them found themselves killed in a car bombing attack outside of the capital. While Pinochet did all of this, he was widely supported by the CIA. Specifically, the CIA supported the Operation Condor, where people accused of showing resistance to the society were prosecuted and silenced even when outside of Chile. This was a CIA operation that spread across Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. In 1980, Pinochet approved a new constitution that gave him and his supporters vastly more power in the government than the opposition. However, the constitution still stipulated that Pinochet would only have another eight-year term. After these eight years, a big referendum came out in 1988 that basically asked the people a yes or no question. The question was whether or not to approve a dictatorial-style government. The yes campaigners cited the advancement of stability in the country because of Pinochet. The no voters argue that endless amounts of civil and human rights abuses that occurred throughout Pinochet's time in power could not be forgiven and that a change in the leadership was necessary. Eventually, the referendum declared that the no voters had won a majority of the votes. Pinochet's side still was able to hold a lot of influence because they kept final veto power over new policies. Despite stepping down, Pinochet worked behind the scenes to support his parties for as long as he could. And then there is the miracle of Chile, which is the term given to the large amount of economic success and prosperity that Chile experienced in the three decades that followed the end of the Pinochet period. One of the major impacts Pinochet's regime had was its lasting effect on the economy. Pinochet deregulated many sectors of the economy so that a free market of operation could occur. One of the main factors in this was the Chicago Boys. 
The Chicago Boys were an inner circle group of Chilean economists that got their education at the University of Chicago. The Chicago Boys are credited with using the expanded free market system to gain foreign investment and diversify the Chilean economy. This was called the miracle of Chile because it is the only country in the South American region that has found this kind of economic success year over year at this time. The biggest issue that came from the expansion of Chile's economy is, you guessed it, the wealth gap. Members of the low and working classes struggled to get by because of a huge increase in the cost of living. This type of struggle would define life for a majority of Chileans for the next few decades. And then we get back to politics. Patricio Alwin won the presidential election of 1989 to replace Pinochet. He played a significant role in the No campaign during the 1988 national plebiscite. His presidency focused on consolidating democracy, promoting national reconciliation, and addressing social and economic changes was very well supported. Alwin's government implemented important political and institutional reforms that emphasized human rights and the rule of law. Then there was Michelle Bachelet. She became the first female president of Chile as a member of the Socialist Party of Chile which was a coalition party formed after Pinochet left office. Bachelet initially studied medicine at the University of Chile and specialized in pediatrics. She worked as a medical doctor and later pursued further studies in the military and defense policies. During the military dictatorship of Pinochet, Bachelet and her family faced prosecution due to their opposition to the regime. She and her mother were imprisoned and subject to torture before being forced into exile. After the end of the Pinochet regime, Bachelet returned to Chile and became involved in politics. She joined the Socialist Party and helped various and held various government positions, including Minister of Health and Minister of Defense. In 2006, Michelle Bachelet made history by becoming the first female president of Chile. Her presidency focused on social and economic reforms, including improvements in education and health care. After completing her first term, Bachelet took on many international roles. She served as the first executive director of UN Women, a United Nations entity dedicated to gender equality and women's empowerment. After that, she ended up returning to Chile. She was re-elected as president of Chile in 2014. Her government faced scrutiny and protests, particularly related to the education and labor issues, but Bachelet maintained her commitment to human rights and social justice, so she served a full term. And another thing that was going on in the 2000s was the fact that Pinochet was still involved in politics, even in the twilight years of his life. But once he returned to Chile after being exiled due to the coup, the end of his life would be defined by vast investigations that accused him of money laundering, arms trafficking, and other corrupt deeds in his post-presidential timeline. Protests against the cost of living and the income gap occurred in 2006, 2008, 2011, and in 2013. The 2011 and 2013 ones were exasperated by the fact that there was a 2010 earthquake. The 2010 Chilean earthquake, also known as Malu earthquake, occurred off the coast of central Chile on February 27, 2010. The earthquake had a magnitude of 8.8, .8, making it one of the strongest earthquakes ever recorded. The epicenter was near the Mali region, about 115 kilometers, or 71 miles, northeast of Chile's second largest city, Concepcion. The earthquake killed 500 people and destroyed 1 million Chilean homes. The widespread misplacement caused economic struggle and a crisis in Chile. This is why those protests followed in 2011 and 2013, because it was already hard to afford most things in Chile. The economic gap had continued to widen as the economy grew in Chile. This continued to happen year over year. And now, people living in the central region that were just middle class or lower class had homes destroyed, had their employment crushed, they didn't have jobs, lots of things came from this earthquake, so protests just continued to follow. But the biggest ones actually occurred in 2019. In 2019, protests broke out across the country. This time, the protests were larger than ever before and represented the culmination of Chile's unanswered cries for help that had stacked decades and decades over. The protests were so massive that they caused huge influence in the nation. So much pressure was placed at the feet of the then-president, Sebastian Pinera, 
that the president ended up buckling and sent out a referendum. The referendum asked whether or not there should be a new constitution in hopes to appease the people that had shaken up the country. The referendum for the constitution came out and was supported overwhelmingly, with at least 75% of voters favoring the action. Subsequently, in May of 2021, Chileans voted to elect representatives to a constitutional convention, tasked with writing a new constitution. The election included a mix of established politicians and independent candidates. The constitutional convention has 155 members working on it as we speak. And as I mentioned in the beginning, these representatives were a significant percentage women, at least 50%, marking a monumental moment not only in Chile's history, but in global political history. The Constitution is currently in the works and has faced speed bumps. In 2023, this Constitution that was proposed was seen as too heavily conservative and was rejected in the process of getting further approval. So for now, it's back to the drawing board, and the hope is that the Constitution will be done by 25 or 26. By 2025 or 2026. And with all that being said, that gets us to the present, where today, Chile is one of the richest countries in South America, also known for its stability and peace. However, the other side of the coin states that there is a huge gap in income and equality in the nation because people that can't afford the newer life in Chile suffer while people at the top enjoy it. It's the story that happens with every country, but this is unique for this region because it's usually that the nation overall is facing a big economic up or down but Chile's in a weird place where it's becoming very, very successful. It's just that a lot of people in the nation are being left behind by the taking off of success. But nonetheless, Chile is expansively developed with cities up and down its beautiful coast. The geographically diverse nation is absolutely stunning, and so are the people here too. Hard workers that come from a long line of different backgrounds make up this extremely long, diverse nation we know today. Chile tops the charts in most quality of life and development stats among South American nations. There is a wide range of Chilean, indigenous, and European cultures present in the nation today. And that brings us to the very end, where I was to do a takeaway or a mindset, and with Chile, that's going to be move forward and move up bit by bit. I say that with Chile because this nation was not always in the state it is today, not only for its size, because once it was much smaller and has now expanded to be the long, unique nation we know today, but on top of that, this nation has been through so many different eras. There was the Mapuche era where culture was based on closeness to family, hunter-gatherer techniques, the warrior system, and different other cultural things that the Mapuche had. Then the culture shifted to agriculture, and then pushing out of the colonial period, and then now we're getting to the point where Chile has just gone through so many different eras that it's built up a very diverse economy, a very diverse nation that represents so many different things within its single borders. Chile has faced civil wars, Chile has faced dictators, Chile has faced a lot of influence from other countries, namely the United States, pushing them in a negative direction. But through all of this, can, Chile has continued to, bit by bit, just stack up the different things the nation is good at. At first it was farming, now it's become great exports, it's become copper, it's become a diverse nation that's getting into tech. It's all different things that Chile is developing into because this nation is unique in the way it's shaped and located because it's able to access so many different types of resources and types of people. So I say you should take that and try and apply that to your life because Chile did not become a success story overnight. This nation had civil war, had many struggles, and is still struggling in many ways today. But on paper, it has things that most nations do not, which is a strong economy, a lot of stability, a strong political system. Chile, especially for this region, is doing very well for itself. And that took time, but the way that but the way that it all stacked up was doing little bits of work 
in and out to eventually become a very full-bodied experience of skills and achievements. Now, I say you could do the same thing because that's all it is. That's the name of the game is just building little skills here and there, building yourself up little bit by little bit every day so that eventually, it could be today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, you'll be very proud of what you've built and where you end up. And that's what Chile's done. It's taken centuries and decades to become the nation it is today, but that's what it's going to take for you too. It's going to take time to develop into who you want to be. And sooner rather than later, you're going to see that the work paid off if you've been doing it. So why not start today? And with all that being said, that is going to be all for me. Chile is truly, genuinely one of my favorite countries. I find the Mapuche history very fascinating. I think the shape of the country is incredible. So I think the geography is just insane. I love Chile. It's a very incredible nation to study. And it's a unique story that we're able to cover too. So I'm very glad we did it. And on top of that, I'm very glad you guys were here. So I'm just going to sign off and say, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Chile. Hope you guys enjoyed.